Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. Matt Frame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. Uh, Sunday morning, 104 a.m. Uh, you're talking about how tired you are. I'm wiping my eyes as if I'm like trying to stay awake. Uh, Jared had headphones on and we're not needing them. So it's that kind of a night. Uh, it's getting wacky up here. Yeah. Pac-12 after dark. Oregon walks away with a 45-27 victory over Stanford. Um, a game, I don't know if we can say that they played really good. They did at times. They also played pretty sloppy at other times. And yet Stanford's really bad. I think that was like the very clear evident thing is that even if Oregon wasn't playing a B-level game, they were the far superior team than, than Stanford. Yeah, that first quarter, first half in general, Oregon gave Stanford a lot of opportunities to hang around. Yep. I mean, just and I think the thing that was frustrating is, is as Landing said, Bo Nick said, Alex Forsyth said, all the guys from offense that spoke tonight, self-inflicted wounds. Yeah. I mean, and th- these weren't a lot of them weren't effort penalties. They were snap count infractions. They were a legal man downfield on on, uh, on passes. Um, they were just people making false starts. Yeah, false starts. Pre-snap. Two of them. I think I think more than two over the course of the mm-hmm. game. Um, just a bunch of stuff that was frustrating. And I think you know I got better throughout the game. But even the first drive, I think, had a couple drops that were tight ends related that felt yeah. very much manageable. Um, from a reception perspective. So the offense didn't perform very well. The defense was really, really strong in the first half, and it needed to be because if the defense had played poorly, Stanford would have been able to hang around a little bit more. Um, I think you're encouraged by that when the defense or the, you know, the defense kind of held the offense up when the offense wasn't performing very well. Um, at the same time, a lot of things on both sides to clean up. The second half, neither side played particularly well. But Oregon had established such a big lead that they were able to kind of scoot to it. And I think at the end of the day, we have to say this, you asked about what would happen if the game was kind of... Yeah. It wasn't a seven-point game like you suggested. It was, what, 18, the final margin? Mm-hmm. It could have been a lot more. But, hey, how, how good does it feel just to survive Stanford week? Because how many teams have not been able to do that? How many teams have lost in really bizarre you know, ways against Stanford? And I think this is one of the worst Stanford teams I've seen in a long yeah. time. They just didn't have much going on either side. Couldn't stop Oregon's run. Oregon ran for like 350 yards. They really couldn't do anything offensively against Oregon in the first half period and then kind of got a couple of late touchdowns and, and they had it into the third quarter and the fourth. But I just think overall you feel, hey, you're 4-1, and 2-0 in conference play. You played and beat two of the teams that have always been thorns in your side in Washington State and Stanford in consecutive weeks. 
You take it, you play Arizona next week, and then you have a bye, and you move on. Uh, yeah, I don't know, really know where to go from there, Eric. I feel like you covered like almost everything that is happened the po- tonight. Is, is the podcast over? Honestly, <laughs> if you yeah, if you wanted to be the shortest synopsis podcast, that was a pretty good one, I have to admit. Um, but yeah, just for all the points that Eric said, um, this was a, a, a day where Oregon really had a lot of self-inflicted wounds. 14 total penalties, 135 yards. Yeesh. I think that's, the, I was talking to James Creppy of the Oregonian after the game. He said that's the most that Dan has ever had in his, in his career as, as, as a coach. And I think that's the most at Oregon in, in a five or six years, something like I that. I bet since Willie Taggart was here. They led the country in yeah. penalties that year. I, I think that's, that'd probably be a good guess, but I don't know off the top of my head. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of silly, silly penalties, in the, especially in the red zone in the first half. Yeah. Uh, we talked at length last week about red zone execution in the first half, and this was a different type of execution. This was not a play-calling issue. This was a execution issue by the offensive lineman for the most part with two or three false starts on one drive, illegal man downfield. Uh, later in the game, there was holds. A, there were holds. There was a there was a, a legal shift or legal formation by Chase Coda. Um, a lot of strange penalties. A lot of penalties that were close and not close. Um, a lot of other penalties that were clear and egregious. There was also the fight on the Oregon sideline. That There's a lot that happened at this game. It was a very strange game, but like Eric mentioned, it's it's Stanford week. This seemingly always happens. It felt like that for for the first quarter, probably until the very last play of the first quarter, where Chase Cota goes for 49 yards and a touchdown. Um, Oregon survived. Can I just say a cool moment that I guess Chase Cody didn't appreciate as much as I did, where the guy from the state of did Oregon. Not at all. <laughs> I, I, I thought I had a cool, cool angle. Man, yeah. I thought I had a cool angle here of Chase Cody scores a touchdown. His first at Odson, the kid whose dad played at Oregon, his cousins played at Oregon, all, all his all these connections here. He had played his start of his career at UCLA, and what happens between the first and second quarter of every game is they play "Coming Home" Matt Carney song. It's kind of the and here's Chase Cota coming home with a touchdown. I thought this is a great moment. He's going to give me a great answer. And and not to not to make it was late. I'm not going to be critical of Chase. Maybe it's not as cool as I thought it was. I thought it was a cool angle. I was planning on writing like a a little short feature on it. Kind of like this is pretty cool. And uh, didn't bite. No, didn't bite. But hey, maybe but, he just I, I don't know. Maybe he just he didn't even realize it. Maybe you were the first person to bring it up. He actually said, "Oh, I realized it. We made it pretty cool." But that was seemingly not quite the quote I was looking for. Well, but regardless, that was that was a huge play in terms of getting the momentum going for the offense. And then that, that whole second quarter was was really strong, especially the last few minutes. There, defense causes a turnover, leads to another touchdown. Oregon scores again on, as the clock expires, basically to end. Um, the first half on a really bizarre sequence where there's yeah, a 15-yard penalty, where there's the fight you were talking about. Seven McGee gets ejected. They convert a third and 21. 21. Sort of convert. Stanford, and then another penalty. Stanford gets called for something that I still don't really understand what that was. And then Jordan James punches it in basically as the clock expires. Um, they scored 21 points in four minutes and 22 seconds. It's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that puts... They uh, could score with the best of them. That... We were pretty impressed with Oregon scoring 14 points in, or 21 points in six minutes and 22 seconds against Washington State last week, and they shaved off two minutes. Um, They're getting better. I, I got they, a text. They seemingly did that without anybody noticing. It yes. just kind of happened. You looked yeah. up and it was. I like, noticed. Well, yeah, but it happened like so quick. Yeah. Each of those drives. Yeah. So. Well, one of them was because of the the fumble and recovery exactly. by yeah. Sewell to the floor. Just boom. They scored Next. right away. I I mentioned on the podcast. I think prediction one that 
we'd get a feel for like the Chip Kelly era Oregon football where it would be close, and then all of a sudden an onslaught of unanswered points by Oregon over five or six drives would come. And we, we saw that today. And the reason I bring that up is because I got a text message while we were in the press conference from a buddy of mine who said, the Oregon offense is fun again. And watching Oregon play is fun again. And we've kind of touched on it a couple of times the last couple of weeks, but I think it's like validated now that this offense, outside of one game against Georgia, which was the first game for for Dan Lanning, the first game for Kenny Dillingham calling plays, the first game for a lot of guys in new roles or in the program, Outside of that one game against the defending national champions, the only thing that stopped Oregon the last four games is Oregon themselves and offensively. And you go in, I think you're two games into the conference play. They've played a terrible Stanford team that has to be accounted for. Washington State is probably middle of the pack. Um, They're not going to play a tough defense next week down in Tucson against the Wildcats. But through that, all of that, I walk away thinking tonight, like, they may have one of the best offenses in the conference. And yeah. you couldn't say that the last four or five years. And that's going to be a reason why they can do what happened tonight. When they play, like, a C-plus game, and they still put over 500 yards of offense. They're, they're really good offensively. And questions have been answered the first five weeks of the season. I don't have the Pac-12 scoring average in front of me, Jared, you can find it if you'd like. I mean, Oregon's average is probably 50 a I, game at home. I was going to say they're in – it's pretty impressive because I bet they're averaging about 40 points now for the season. and With a three. With a three-point game where they scored no touchdowns to soap both the season because it's been 70, 41, 44, 45 yeah. the last four games in the wins. Um, super impressive. Um, we mentioned some of the running stuff, but I think we have to shout out Bucky Irving who – I predicted 100 yards, guys. You got screwed here. He had 90 yards midway through the second quarter. What, Looking what? good. Uh, this is points per game in the Pac-12 of 2022, right? Yes. What is uh, it? Oregon is in fifth place at 39.5. This is not updated for today. Oh. Uh, UCLA is over them at 41.4, then Washington at 41.6, then Utah at 42 even. But it's, not inclu- USC, it's not including today? Not including so today. So Oregon's now over 40 points. 42.3, yes. Um, but I, I, as I was saying... Um, I predicted Bucky 100 yards. He had 90 midway through the second quarter. He ends up with 97. I, I, I don't know what to say. He was fantastic in the first game, in the first quarter of this game. Some of the runs are incredible. Um, for those listening, I'm, I'm curious on who he reminds you of because there's a little bit of the Michael James balancey I'm just stuff. Say that. Which I'm not trying to say he's the Michael because that's to me the best running back that's ever played at this school. And Irving's played five games, still doesn't have 100 yards in a single game. A lot that's of, by a, design. A lot of that is low usage on yeah. run plays, but I, I, I come away so impressed with him. I also came away really impressed with Noah Whittington. He just powers through guys. He had a couple where he just trucked people. And it is a bit of a thunder and lightning thing. And Jared asked me, who's thunder, who's lightning? Yeah. I think that's the hard part, is they both can do it effectively. Um, Bucky is so quick, such a good change of direction, great vision, and Whittington has doesn't doesn't you know even waste a moment in terms of just like I'm just gonna run through guys. I think it's a great one-two punch. And interestingly enough, two running backs scored touchdowns in the game, and it was neither of the primary backs because <laughs> James and Dollars both got in. And Next. we have a 100-yard rush on this season. And I think if what would the Vegas odds have been on this? Not Bo great. Dicks. Yeah. 
141 on six carries. Well, 80 come on one play, which is the longest touchdown run by a quarterback since uh, Taylor Alley ran for 87 yards in 2015. Jared with the assist in terms of finding that, that stat. Well, uh, Tyson with the real assist because I just looked on Twitter and saw it, and he was the first one to post about it. So. <laughs> Oh, you didn't tell me that until now. I'm disappointed. You should have. You should have given him credit. We thought it was Mariota in 80, with 87 or 85 against something. ASU in 2012, but the Taylor Alley is a throwback from a time where, for like a brief quarter and a half, there was some discussion that he should start when I think it was Vernon Adams being hurt. He did start a little bit, and it didn't go good. It wasn't no. good. No, it was uh, not. Anyways, uh, this game. This game. Are well, we sure? Do you, you want to talk about Georgia State in 2015? We can do. Uh, you want to do 10 more minutes on that? It's, I, it's, it's I don't remember it's, watching that game. I remember none of that. To be no, honest, not at all. It was. I do. It was an 11 a.m. game. I think it was the first 11 a.m. game that they played here. Oh, well, I that was impressive. <laughs> good, good pull, Matt. Shut up. Um, Bonix wasn't great in tonight's game passing the ball. Well, no. I don't you think a lot. But there were. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, there were there were points where there were a couple drops, like Eric mentioned on the very first drive. He should have had two or three there interceptions. Were, Probably an interception or two. There was Stanford, one that was very yeah, much. Yeah, there was one that been. was really poor. His deep ball accuracy just wasn't the same as it had been the last couple of weeks. Um, he just he made the throws. I also think I talked to Eric. I talked to you about this during the game where because of all of the penalties, Oregon's offense never really seemed to get into a rhythm. Yeah. And because of that, I think that Nick's really thrives in a rhythm scenario where it's just. You know, you get the play call and you go. You get the play call and you go. This time there was a lot of waiting around. It's sort of like, like a, if you're a relief pitcher and you're on a roll and someone steps out of the box just to kind of mess with you, or you know, a, a starting pitcher who has to throw from the stretch for the first time in five innings, something that just kind of messes him up a little. Mm. But the last couple of games, specifically the last two, uh, Nick's has been more active on the ground. He's been running more. He's been taking off for 10 to 15 yards at a time. Obviously, tonight's you know 80 yarder, but he also had uh, like a 30 a 30 something yarder in there. 35 too. yarder that was actually his career high long, and then he ran for 80 and, like, and then he doubled broke it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I, I, he was he was really good today in general, and again another good game. But passing just you know it wasn't it wasn't as crisp and as clean as it had been in in, in weeks past, but. Other than that, I mean, again, like like Matt, I think started off with like a C plus game, or I think I would go higher than that, but not Oregon's best. No, regardless, not at all. and they still come away with forty five points on the board and, and win by by eighteen, even though it should have been much higher it, than that. It but was it was twenty. I, I don't come away with I don't come away thinking that they won by eighteen. No. It, they they won by more. I mean, they they yeah. they, they were allowed to score. They they, they literally scored. Uh, here, here's the way to quantify it. Those listening probably don't care much, but they scored. Sanford scored ten points from the moment we got in the elevator to go down to the field, which is a five minute mark. Which is a five minute mark quarter. of the game, which basically that time is just mop up game, basically unless it's a really close game, um, which obviously this was not. Stat that goes down. Oregon has given up a sack this season. Yeah. yeah. 10:20 p.m. Uh, October 2nd, week two, or October 1st. Is that the exact time? Are you yes. Confident? I'm 100 percent confident because wow. I tweeted it out. 10:20 p.m. 10:20 p.m. Uh, they made it a five. month. They made it a month, and uh, Bo Nix was sacked, and it was controversial because he was like right around the yard line. You know, I was thinking the stat sheet would would uh, be favorable a, a home, towards Oregon. I mean, home box. How many times have we seen like backs uh, basketball like Chris Boucher or Jordan Bell get credited with a block that 
really wasn't a block, yeah. but because they were just so epic at blocking shots, they got it. Yeah. I felt like that was going to be the case with the sack. Like, ah, he, he made forward progress for a tackle for no gain, so we're not going to call it a sack. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And, and kind of just speaking to sacks, plays in the backfield, I thought Brandon Dorless for the really defense good. really mm-hmm. set the tone. I think the second play from scrimmage for the Oregon defense it was a sack. gets a sack. He has two this game, three total tackles for loss. DJ Johnson comes in the second half, also gets a sack. Oregon had three this game. Um, they've been doing a better job of getting pressure. And this I, is thought, a, I thought Casey Rogers was really good, too. This just was a quick... Yeah, no, he was. He wasn't credited with anybody that have a quarterback hit or quarterback hurry. Um, I, I think we knew going in this was an opportunity to maybe get after the quarterback more. I think Washington had nine sacks or something last week against yeah. Stanford. Stanford also without basically two of their starting offensive linemen and then the replacement offensive lineman goes down in like... The first quarter. I mean, they were down like three key guys, and it was just it was tough for Stanford. But I, I thought Oregon did a great job of, of making Tanner McKee's life difficult. McKee still finishes with no, actually not even impressive. 166 yards, two touchdowns. It's funny he had one really good incredible throw. throw. And just one, one thing I was going to say is, is last week these were two of the prettiest stat lines I'd seen from quarterbacks in the game, both Ward and, and Nix. In this game, both quarterbacks were for like 160 yards, a couple touchdowns, but. Completion percentages around or below yard, yard, 50%. Yard less than what Nick's threw for last week between the two of them? Was it 328? Right? Uh, it was, yeah, four. Oh, that's four, 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 400. 428, yes, last 428, week. 428, excuse me. Um, do, we want, uh, do we want to talk Ty Thompson a little bit? Is that even worth the topic? I don't do think Do you take anything away from that? No, I... I it was not, he's not ready. Bonix has been the starter uh, for uh, five uh, weeks. Yeah, he wasn't great. He got in. The I offense sputtered and didn't, didn't do much. That's all I have. They yeah. had, what, 502 yards to start the fourth quarter, you said, and they finished with 515. So yeah, they gained 13 yards with him as a quarterback. And I think they had four possessions, Yeah, which is not good. Those saying he needs to transfer and he sucks, can they themselves suck. But I will yeah. also say there wasn't much to be impressed with. I think you were hoping to see a little bit more, but I'm not going to take a ton here because – it's uh, the fourth I, quarter, I and he didn't come in. I mean, he came into a game we, that was we didn't over. We to watch Ty Thompson. No, you. I will say, I would. I would have liked to have seen him be a little sharper. The interception was not his fault. There are a couple of throws that I think he's capable of making. I agree, but we've already, we've spent too much time on this. Okay, too much time on Ty Thompson. I, Injuries. No. Uh, no no update on Justin Flo, other than he was deemed unavailable right at the start, which is funny because you guys 
saw during pregame that he wasn't out he there at all. Never. So was like, uniform. when when was it deemed just before the game that he was unavailable? Um, well, I, ju- I guess just before the game is subjective. Maybe it was two hours <laughs> before the game. Yeah. yeah so it wasn't within an hour of the game when the first time out. Yesterday was before the game. Yet, yes, yet, it was. What day is today? When when are we? That's the second. No update on Cardwell, but we didn't ask about. I mean, I, I guess I asked like, you guys come out clean. Guys? Yeah. Um, he said he's got to get with Chief, the medical doctor, to make sure everything's good. But nothing new there. Um, it, I didn't feel like anyone. I mean, a Stanford player got carted off, but no one else from Oregon. I don't yeah. think there was one injury where like, hey, I got my wind knocked out. Like I need, I need a second. Like there was none of that. No, the only player who left the field was Seven McGee. Yeah, and he got ejected, which I don't know how that happened. I mean, uh, I saw it. He punched a guy in the helmet. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it was pretty lame, but it's against the rules. So you, I mean, I, I, I bad decision. I mean, the guy's wearing a helmet. Don't you're punch punching. people right. in the helmet. Yeah, never That's punch not somebody a good who's call. wearing a helmet. And James James Crepia suggests that this had nothing to do with protecting Bo, but that this player had. Because this is where the ball popped out. Right. Is that the player had gone too far in terms of trying to get the ball out when the whistle had blown, and Seven was retaliating, was like, you know, chill out, and came up and punched the guy in the helmet. It had nothing to do with protecting Bo. No. I'd like I don't to think ask Seven that question. I would Bo love to. We're never going to get you. No. Well, we can ask him in spring ball. Uh, yeah, we won't talk to Seven for a while. Um, He's already apologized, by the way, on Twitter. He on did social. It. He did it during the during third quarter, the game, yeah. during the game. Um, okay. One last thing on special teams. Oh, I've been waiting for this one. I mean, Ross it's controversy James, here. What, we're talking Ross James? Yeah. I don't know if it's controversy. I think he's he's the guy. He's yeah. good. Five punts, 43 yards, along of 52, two inside the 20. Along of 52 is the longest punt of the year. It was. It was a good Adam, Adam Barry's long punt was like uh, just over 40, I think 42 maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought he was excellent and um, wasn't expecting – I don't know if I'd say excellent, but I would say he was. Well, forty-three point four is great, and he had some pressure there. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little too too kind here. I was going to give him a very strange. I think you love the storyline. I, I love the storyline of a specialist winning the job mid-season. I it, yeah. it, and it also because it's the Ross James, maybe. it's the yeah because it's Ross James because I love Ross James and that storyline. Two maybe. first names we all do. No, but it, it, it's notable in part because Adam Berry was the veteran who had all this experience, and James was a guy who remember we looked at his stats preseason weren't super impressive at the junior college level. And yet he's he's you know taken this job and performed, I thought pretty admirably today. Forty three yards today, and, and as yeah. you recall against Washington State, his one punt there was also was mid forty range. range as well. Yeah. So he's just I mean this is notable. This was more consistent than what what Barry had been all year long. Yeah, and it's it's longer. It's a higher it's a higher time. Um, I, frankly, I don't. I don't know what to expect if Ross is like the dude going forward or if they're going to continue this competition. He did take all but one punt today because Bo Nix was the sixth punt. Hey, he qualifies for the Ray Guy Award now. He should. He Bo, should. The 34 yard he has inside two the, 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 the seven. Inside the Very ten. Very impressive. Um, special teams, other than that, uh, Andrew Boyle uh, did a good job of, of kicking balls out of the end zone. He had four kickoffs for four, t- or eight, eight for four. Camden Lewis had uh, that's like Camden's longest kick in he had a, a field goal a long time 38 yards could be the season because last few games these kicked field goals have all been like chip what was shots. his against 22 what was his against uh, Georgia? Georgia he had a good decent one I don't know if it was like 39. Yeah, I don't know if oh. it was in the 40s but 
I'm pretty sure it was in the 30s against Georgia. Um, We're scratching the bottom of the barrel here. I I got something. Oh, cool. Let's hit this. If you got to finish her up, maybe we can react to it and then call it a show. The way this game played out, the things that they have to work on, um, the red zone stuff, the penalty stuff, putting teams – I think they kind of let Stanford hang a little bit longer than they – they should have been in the game after seeing how bad Stanford was. Mm-hmm. Perfect recipe for things to work on before going to a team in Arizona next week uh, in Tucson that is easy to overlook. You know, th- Arizona is improved, but they're still bad. And I, I think the way that this game played out, had it played out perfectly, and Oregon wins this like sixty-three to, to ten, or, or, or even forty-five yeah. to seventeen, like it was. You, I think there's there's a, a probability that Oregon goes into Tucson and we see a start like we saw tonight at Autzen, but in Tucson. And Eric, you and I were you both were you with me when when they went to Tucson in two thousand eighteen? No. And that was a game they Boy. Arizona was bad and they thumped them. Oregon went in overconfident. They played sloppy. They had a bad start, and a very mediocre crowd got really into it. And next thing you know, they were down big, and they got blown out. And I, I just feel like the way this game played out is perfect for the staff to just hammer home, focus on your details, little details matter, and the team's going to receive it well because they didn't perfectly play tonight. And that's kind of what you want going into those types of games. You know, and, and I'll say – if you listen to Dan's opening statement or read it or however you're going to consume that, it, it didn't sound like a coach that just coached a team that, no, could, was, have, that was, could have won by four he scores. Not a happy camper. He was not. It sounded like a coach who just coached a, a, a loss or a, a really narrow win, and that's not really what this was. It's not a very competitive game, but I think it, honestly, their shortcomings allowed it to look closer, allowed it to feel closer, um, because this, I think you're right, Matt, this very easily could have been very, very lopsided. This could have been one of the more lopsided games in this series. I mean, are you kind of it? It was, but it's I mean, most it, could, it could have been. It could have been a oh yeah, a sixty-three to ten kind of thing was on the table if they executed sure. perfect. Yep. and they didn't. You know, and, and I think as you said, you go into this this week now having a long list of things to work on, and I think that's not a bad thing. Obviously, you'd love to just go play a perfect game. They haven't done it yet. Maybe they do it going into the bye week against Arizona, put that one to rest, and then come out of it with UCLA, who looked pretty darn good on Friday, uh, beating Washington. Yeah, I think Dan talked and acted and had the mentality of what we get from him on Wednesdays. Yeah, after that's a good practice. way of putting it. Yeah, I like that. Just probably not not happy with it. I'm not comparing Stanford this game to a practice of Oregon's, but he just wasn't. It wasn't like he won. You know, he was in a much chipper attitude after they beat BYU. Um, he was kind of half and half against Washington State, but this one he just seemed pretty disappointed, and rightfully so. I mean, these were all self-inflicted wounds. This was nothing that, you know, was I, I didn't really think. I thought the play calling was always good. I thought they probably threw the ball more than they should have. Yeah. Um, I hope against Arizona they just line up in the 14 jumbo package and just run like that 58 times because I think they'll win pretty handily if they do that. But yeah, I thought it was overall. It could have been a much higher score, but I still walk out of here not thinking that they won by 18 because those the last 10 points in the fourth were just total garbage time, and, and, and Oregon Oregon manhandled Stanford outside of all the dumb penalties. It was 31 to three at halftime, and yeah. Stanford scored, but then it really Oregon, felt like it should have been yeah. 43 to three. And 45 points, by the way, by Oregon is the most points Oregon scored on Stanford since 2014. 
um, Marcus's senior season when they destroyed the Cardinal. So yep. still a lot to be happy about with this one. You get past Stanford, you get past Washington State in back-to-back weeks. That's a huge probably weight off everyone's shoulders no matter how it happened uh, for your Oregon fan base knowing those two teams and what they've done to your seasons in the past. Uh, one last thought. Will officiate, right? Oh, that was bullshit. No. <laughs> I agree. And that's called a show. I was joking, by the way. Yeah, just make that clear. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday with the mailbag. Talk to you folks. Peace. I almost... I almost... New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.